0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. Eighteen plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Book Three, Chapter Three, Part One of Lord of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lord of the World by Robert U. Benson. Book Three, Chapter Three, Part One. Oliver Brand stepped out from the conference hall in Westminster on the Friday evening, so soon as the business was over, and the plenipotentiaries had risen from the table, more concerned as to the effect of the news upon his wife than upon the world. He traced the beginning of the change to the day five months ago, when the President of the World had first declared the development of his policy, and while Oliver himself had yielded to that development, and from defending it in public had gradually convinced himself of his necessity mabel for the first time in her life had shown herself absolutely obstinate the woman to his mind seemed to him to have fallen into some kind of insanity felsenberg's declaration had been made a week or two after his acclamation at westminster and mabel had received the news of it at first with absolute incredulity then when there was no longer any doubt that he had declared the extermination of the supernaturalist to be a possible necessity there had been a terrible scene between husband and wife she had said that she had been deceived that the world's hope was a monstrous mockery, that the reign of universal peace was as far away as ever, that Felsenberg had betrayed his trust and broken his word. There had been an appalling scene. He did not even now like to recall it to his imagination. She had quieted after a while, but his arguments, delivered with infinite patience, seemed to produce very little effect. She settled down into silence, hardly answering him. One thing only seemed to touch her, and that was when he spoke of the President himself. It was becoming plain to him that she was but a woman, after all, at the mercy of a strong personality, but utterly beyond the reach of logic. He was very much disappointed. Yet he trusted to time to cure her. The government of England had taken swift and skillful steps to reassure those who, like Mabel, recoil from the inevitable logic of the new policy. An army of speakers traversed the country, defending and explaining The press was engineered with extraordinary adroitness, and it was possible to say that there was not a person among the millions of England who had not easy access to the government's defence. Briefly, shorn of rhetoric, their arguments were as follows, and there was no doubt that, on the whole, they had the effect of quieting the amazed revolt of the more sentimental minds. Peace, it was pointed out, had for the first time in the world's history become a universal fact. There was no longer one state, however small, whose interests were not identical with those of one of the three divisions of the world, of which it was a dependency. And that first stage had been accomplished nearly half a century ago. But the second stage, the reunion of these three divisions under a common head, an infinitely greater achievement than the former, since the conflicting interests were incalculably more vast, this had been consummated by a single person, who, it appeared, had emerged from humanity at the very instant when such a character was demanded. It was surely not much to ask that those on whom these benefits had come should assent to the will and judgment of him through whom they had come. This, then, was an appeal to faith. The second main argument was addressed to reason. Persecution, as all enlightened persons confessed, was the method of a majority of savages who desired to force a set of opinions upon a minority who did not spontaneously share them now the peculiar malevolence of persecution in the past lay not in the employment of force but in the abuse of it that any one kingdom should dictate religious opinions to a minority of its members was an intolerable tyranny for no one state possessed the right to lay down universal laws the contrary to which might be held by its neighbor this however disguised was nothing else than the individualism of nations a heresy even more disastrous to the commonwealth of the world than the individualism of the individual but with the arrival of the universal community of interests the whole situation was changed the single personality of the human race has succeeded to the incoherence of divided units and with that consummation which might be compared to a coming of age an entirely new set of rights had come into being the human race was now a single entity with a supreme responsibility towards itself there were no longer any private rights at all such as had certainly existed in the period previous to this man now possessed dominion over every cell which composed his mystical body and where any such cell asserted itself to the detriment of the body the rights of the whole were unqualified and there was no religion but one that claimed the equal rights of universal jurisdiction and that was the catholic the sects of the east while each retained characteristics of its own had yet found in the new man the incarnation of their ideals and had therefore given in their allegiance to the authority of the whole body of whom he was head. But the very essence of the Catholic religion was treason to the very idea of man. Christians directed their homage to a supposed supernatural being, who was not only, so they claimed, outside of the world, but positively transcended it. Christians, then, leaving aside the mad fable of the Incarnation, which might very well be suffered to die of its own folly, deliberately severed themselves from that body, Of which by human generation they had been made members they were as mortified limbs yielding themselves to the domination of an outside force other than that which was their only life and by that very act imperiled the entire body this madness then was the one crime which still deserved the name murder theft rape even anarchy itself were as trifling faults compared to this monstrous sin for while these injured indeed the body they did not strike at its heart individuals suffered, and therefore those minor criminals deserved restraint, but the very life was not struck at. But in Christianity there was a poison actually dead. Every cell that became infected with it was infected in that very fiber that bound it to the spring of life. This, and this alone, was the supreme crime of high treason against man, and nothing but complete removal from the world could be an adequate remedy these then were the main arguments addressed to that section of the world which still recoiled from the deliberate utterance of Felsenburgh, and their success had been remarkable of course the logic in itself indisputable had been dressed in a variety of costumes gilded with rhetoric flushed with passion and it had done its work in such a manner that as summer drew on felsenberg had announced privately that he proposed to introduce a bill which should carry out to its logical conclusion the policy of which he had spoken Now, this, too, had been accomplished. End of Book 3, Chapter 3, Part 1